Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 324 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Today on the show, we'll be discussing Disenchantment, a new fantasy cartoon from Matt Groening, creator of The Simpsons and Futurama. And this will involve spoilers for the first 10 episodes, so just be aware of that. And I'm joined by three guests. So, first up, we've got Robert Rapino, who you may remember from our panel on the Oroville back in episode 288. He's the author of the novels Mort, Dark, and Cul-de-Sac, and his short fiction appears in literary journals such as Night Train, Word Riot, and The Furnace Review. He teaches at the Gotham Writers Workshop, and is also a frequent contributor to Tor.com, with articles like What Mr. Rogers Can Teach Us About Storytelling. By day, he works as an editor for the Oxford University Press. So, Robert, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Then next up, we've got Andrea Kale, who you may remember from our panel on Game of Thrones spoilers back in episode 146. She's a graduate of the Odyssey Writers Workshop, and her short fiction appears in Writers of the Future, Volume 23, Fantasy Magazine, and Lightspeed. She's also a television writer and producer, and was the script supervisor for Late Night with Conan O'Brien. So, Andrea, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Dave. And also joining us today is Tom Gerentzer, who you may remember from our panel on Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency back in episode 281. His short fiction appears in magazines such as Galaxy's Edge and Realms of Fantasy, and in books such as New Voices in Science Fiction and I, Alien. He's a former whitewater professional who ran his own video production business for eight years, and he currently writes articles on money, nutrition, resumes, medical waste, and lifestyle. So, Tom, welcome to the show. Hey, Dave. Thanks for having me. Okay, so let's start off with Robert. And, Robert, I just want to ask everyone what they thought of Matt Greening's previous shows, The Simpsons and Futurama. So uh, are you a big fan of those shows? Uh, have you watched them a lot? Uh, I, I think like a lot of people, uh, I'm a big fan of The Simpsons up until season, I don't know, 12 or something, and haven't watched very many new episodes in a long time. But I have quite a few of the first few seasons practically memorized, and I quote them incessantly, and I think they've had a huge influence on me. Uh, Futurama, I don't know as well. Uh, I think I watched it mostly when it first came out, and I feel like there was a, there was another iteration of Futurama that came out later after it left Fox. Am I, I think I think I'm correct in saying. Yeah, that, I right? think it was on Comedy yeah, Central after that. Yeah, right. So I think I watched the first iteration of it and enjoyed it, but you know, I was older and therefore I don't know, maybe more jaded. I don't know. Maybe I, I didn't enjoy it as much as as uh, the Simpsons, but it's it's a really cool show, and I'm glad that they resurrected it. I and the few newer episodes I saw, I was very impressed with. So. I had, I had a great impression of all that and was looking forward to Disenchantment. So, Yeah, so I stopped watching The Simpsons. I, I was also a big fan of The Simpsons, and I stopped watching it in college. So that would have been around the year 2000. Is that about the same time you stopped watching it? About the same time, yeah. Yeah. Uh, how about Andrea? Simpsons? Futurama? Uh, yeah, pretty much Robert said everything I could possibly say about it. I watched – I couldn't tell you when I stopped watching The Simpsons, but I haven't watched in a long time. But there are – lines from that show that I will say over and over and over again. <laughs> and even if nobody else knows what I'm talking about, they still make me laugh and I don't care. Um, and Futurama, I also just, I remember watching it when it first uh, came out and it was funny and it's a lot sharper than I think than the Simpsons. Um, but it, you know, it, it petered out for me. And so I didn't follow it to uh comedy central. 
but I still have, you know, great memories of it. It's, it's a really sharp show. Um, yeah, yeah, I've watched every episode of Futurama, and I actually think some of the episodes toward the end are some of the best. I mean, there's uh, hmm. the, the the finale, I think, is really good, which I think is the one with the 10-second rewinding time machine. And that's just brilliant. And um, there's the time machine that only goes forward. Um, <laughs> there's the mind swapping where you can't swap back into the same uh, – you, you can't swap the same people – same two people back. Uh, there's just some really good episodes that that – from what I remember, are, are almost toward right. the end of the the run. Right. Um, but uh, so, how about Tom uh, Simpsons Futurama? Yeah, same exact experience. I don't know. If maybe maybe if you sampled like a thousand people, they'd all say the same thing. <laughs> but uh, it, yeah, I I had the same experience. I loved the Simpsons in college. I loved it even even a bit after college, and then I just kind of stopped watching it at some point, and then. Futurama came on and I was like, cool, science fiction comedy, I love it. And I watched, I don't know, I watched like three or four episodes and I was like, yeah, it's not really my thing. And then I, unfortunately, I haven't seen the episodes you're talking about toward the end of the run, so I'll have to check that out. Yeah, I think that Futurama got off to a bit of a rocky start. I can remember not thinking it was that great, but I still watched it just because, like you said, it was science fiction humor and there's just not a lot of that out there. I'll, I'll mention just in yeah. passing, Tom and I are both big Douglas Adams fans. So we're always kind of, I think, on the lookout for more stuff like that. Um, but yeah, and, and I think Futurama is always hit or miss with the individual episodes. But I just, just I love, just the idea of a science fiction comedy cartoon, uh, you know, mm -hmm. is enough to make me stick with it. And, and there are enough brilliant episodes sort of sprinkled in there, um, you know, that, that I, I did watch every episode, like I said. Um, and I'll say that, I mean, the reason I stopped watching The Simpsons is because I felt like that when it started out or in the early years anyway, that it had, it was funny and there was social commentary, uh, and slapstick humor, but there was also a lot of heart and a lot of just strong stories. And I felt like toward, when I stopped watching it, I felt like it had lost a lot of the heart and the the storylines and it was they were the episodes just seemed to be a collection of gags strung together and it seems like nobody was taking it that seriously and the it was mm -hmm. like a a band that just gets up on stage and they all play their <laughs> like listlessly play their familiar their hits. hits yeah yeah well I, I it's just i mean at the base of it it's it's a family show it's a show about families you know it's making fun of the classic sitcom family sitcom but it, it, it's also that's what it is as well. So that's what that was. That's where the heart comes from. Um, I think about all of the Simpsons. Could could I ask a quick quick question, everybody? Um, did anybody uh, like the Simpsons movie? I remember liking it and thinking that this could have been the better model for the show going forward, rather than having another twenty episode season. Once in a while, having a movie that sort of brings together the best of what would otherwise be. A stretched out twenty episode season, but what? Anybody have any strong feelings about the movie? I did like the movie. I didn't think it was great, but I liked it. But I think your idea that you concentrate your best writing every once in a while into this great movie is is a good one. You know. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> I think that's a fantastic idea. I, I I don't even know that I ever saw the movie, but I think it would be uh, that that's a that's a really cool way to do it. Just say, hey, look, let's not just let's not just beat a dead horse just because we have to to fill the yeah. form, but Every once in a while, if we've got a lot of great ideas, let's just bring them out because people want to see them. There are actually a lot of genre shows that did that, like uh, Incredible Hulk, Alien Nation, 
Uh, I think even Walker Texas Ranger went to that format at one point. You know, the <laughs> best of a Walker uh, season. You know, you want that in a movie. How much hmm. about Walker Texas Ranger do you know? I'm I'm interested now. <laughs> I could sing the theme song for you. Um, oh, I'm so <laughs> sad for you. No, let me explain. It's not. I never really watched the show, but I know some people who who ironically love it including a band that I hung out with once. So the band actually did a cover of it. So it's not me. I wow. swear I did not like the show. That, yeah, all right, well, wait, we'll save really it for our Texas Walker, of... Texas, <laughs> Walker, Texas Ranger Sex? panel. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I derailed everything oh, please. already. I, wanted, I definitely want to talk about Walker, Texas Ranger. Um, but also, I never saw the Simpsons movie, um, so I can't comment on that specifically. But I think a problem is just when the show runs for 30 years, whatever The Simpsons has run mm-hmm, for. Yeah. I mean, good storytelling is about character development. And mm-hmm. there's only so many stories you can tell about, like, you know, an eight-year-old the same or characters. whatever, uh, learning life lessons. You know, after a while, it it, 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 it it can't help but become sort of a joke because the characters have had so many experiences that should have changed them. And, and if they don't change and don't grow and never get older, right. uh, it, it, the 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 sense of reality of the whole thing is just very hard to maintain. Yeah, well, it is, yeah, and in fact, thirty years. The, the The showrunners for that for the show Cheers. I'm I'm dating myself here, but uh, that was when I was younger. That was everybody loved that show. That was a hugely popular show. And I remember reading something from one of the showrunners at one point. It's like Les Burroughs Charles or something like that. That they said uh, there's three rules on this show. Nobody hugs. Nobody learns anything, <laughs> and I don't remember the third one, but it was something like nobody grows or something like that, So, which is a funny idea for a show, but that's yeah. that's the way they ran it. It actually worked somehow. Well, it's because it's, it's a show about essentially kind of jerky people. <laughs> They're kind right. of all jerks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could say right, the same right. thing about Seinfeld, I guess, but... Yes, exactly. They oh, don't yeah. change. Yeah. That was the point. Yeah, but Seinfeld never had heart, <laughs> you know, in the same way no. that the early Simpsons <laughs> did. And so you don't I guess you don't feel the you don't feel the loss of it when it goes away. Uh if it was never no, there no, to start no. with. It was never there to start with. Um All right, but yeah, so now that we've established everyone's uh you know history with these Matt Groening shows, uh let's let's get into disenchantment a little bit. So um uh how about Robert? What were you uh uh, what were your kind of your expectations going into the show, and kind of what were your what was your reaction to the first uh, episode or two? Well, it um, it wasn't until very late, uh, right before I started watching it, that I knew that this was going to be a serial show, that it was going to be a long uh, arc uh, narrative over the course of many episodes, and that raised my expectations for uh, the character development. Like I thought that this was good. It, you know, the opposite of what Tom was just talking about with how, you know, nobody changes and everything gets reset at the end of each episode and get tied in a little bow and we start over the next one. So those expectations were, were high. Um, I was also just, and maybe this isn't fair, but, um, you know, some of the animated shows that are out there that are really smart and, and edgy, you know, whether you like them or not, I mean, they, they, I think they're really, um, I don't know. They're, they're, they're a little more, um, I don't know. They're just a little more edgy. Like shows like Rick and Morty or, or even like a show like Teen Titans Go. Uh, I was thinking like, how is this show going to compete with those in terms of just the creativity and the storytelling and this, the wackiness? Um, how is it going to compete with those when it's still using a style of humor that, at this point is now we have 30 seasons worth of it. Uh, so I had some high expectations for the character development, some low expectations for the humor. 
And to answer your question about the first episode, I, I, this was a, I, I wasn't crazy about the, the, the pilot. Um, and sorry to jump ahead, but I almost felt that the last episode of this 10 episode arc would have made a better pilot it's because <laughs> it, it raises the stakes in a way that, and really sets us on an adventure. Whereas this episode felt like it was just putting the characters into this position, but I'm, I was still very murky about the motivations, still very, very murky about what people wanted and things like that. Maybe I'm taking a cartoon too seriously. I get that. And at any point, please feel free to remind me of that. But, uh, yeah, it, I felt like this was less of a story and more of a, uh, just a putting the pieces in place and, and knowing that you're going to keep watching because this is the nature of binge TV shows. No, I don't disagree with that at all. I mean, I'll, I'll say I was uh, underwhelmed by the show, uh, certainly initially. Um, and I think part of that is that, you know, I, I thought the, um, you know, I, I thought a lot of the jokes were falling flat. And it also, it, mm-hmm. it feels a lot like um, Mac Rating's other shows where, um, you know, like, okay, so so the setup, basically, it's a medieval fantasy world. And the main character is this rebellious teenage princess named Bean. And she quickly acquires two sidekicks, a, uh, a, a demon named Lucy, who is always encouraging her to do bad things, and a uh, elf named Elfo, who comes from a sort of Keebler elf kind of happy land and wants to experience uh, misery in, in real life. Um, incidentally, I kind of like that, that setup, but um, I, I thought these characters were... We're, we're very similar to Leela, Fry, and Bender oh, yeah. from Futurama in, in a way that feels very uh, repetitive off the bat. I guess, Andrea, do you want to yep. pick up on that? Uh, I agree with everything you said. I went into it not knowing anything more about it than it's Matt Groening and it's a medieval fantasy comedy. Um, so I was expecting Simpsons, Futurama, episodic kind of humor – and uh that's not what i got <laughs> i got a, uh, a a a series that has an overarching story but i didn't realize that till till i was halfway through and then i was like oh okay i get it but my first the, the first episode was just I, I literally wrote in my notes as i was watching it i haven't laughed once <laughs> um mm. it was Everything was old, rehashed. As you said, the characters are Leela Fry and Bender. Um, exactly that. Uh, everything felt just retread. There was nothing new going on. Um, it was too much setup and it was no, no real jokes going on. I maybe smiled one time in the first episode, maybe smiled twice in the second episode. So I was, if I didn't have to, watch all of them because I was doing this. I wouldn't have gotten past episode one. You did. You essentially forced me. Yes. (laughs) I was forced to do this, but I'm actually, I'm glad I got to the end because I know. And I said, same with you, Robert, I'm, I'm skipping ahead because the ending was so, was good as opposed to the beginning, which was, I I genuinely would not have gotten past episode one if, if I left my own devices. (laughs) Yeah, and I don't want to say too much about the uh, the ending because let's get to that later. But I will mm-hmm. note that this show has gotten pretty like mixed to poor reviews, and they sent out the first seven episodes to reviewers, which I think right. is just baffling. I mean, maybe that's all they had mm-hmm. ready to go or something. But the those ep- the first seven episodes are like five times worse than mm-hmm. the last two or three, and mm-hmm. uh, I think that's pretty unfortunate for the. 
you know, for, for giving people yes. a sense of how good the show could get. But um, so, Tom, getting back to these first couple episodes, though, uh, do you agree with our initial impressions of the show or did you have a, a different take on it? Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, no, sorry. I'm just kidding. I, I agree. I, I totally agree. I, I um, you know, I probably wouldn't. It's one of those shows that if I'd started watching it on my own, I probably would have watched the first episode and maybe half of the second episode and been like, nah. I, I, uh, to, to quote Elfo, uh, Elfo's, Elfo's appraisal of war. I like it, but I don't love it. So I, there were things to like about it. I, I, I did laugh I, I, like 10 times in the first episode, but there were so many jokes that were just like, yeah, it's not really funny. But there was like, you know, they're like, oh, we're, we're going to be here for a long time. We're going to need chairs. You know, these evil people are saying this. And then one of them says, yes, dark chairs. I laughed at that one. And I- then, uh, I agree with you. That was the one – that was one of my smiles in episode one. <laughs> okay. And then they were going to like hang Elfo from the gumdrop tree at one point. I think I laughed at that one. And yeah. There was, there, was, there was a few laughs in there, but they were just few and far between. And I didn't – I remember thinking like, yeah, The Simpsons seems like I was laughing belly laughs all the way mm-hmm. through it the first few times I watched it. Um, but I kind of think – I kind of was wondering if like Matt Groening went to Netflix when he first thought of the idea and was like – I have a really cool idea. This is after I watched the whole 10 episodes. I was picturing, like, he went to Netflix and was like, I have a really cool idea for a movie, for a Netflix movie that's like a fantasy. And that they came back and said, geez, can you, can you stretch it into a seat, into like two seasons of a, a serial show? And he went, yeah, yeah, okay, I can do that. And then, cause like you said, the, the actual plot arc, especially like if you follow it through the last couple of episodes is really cool, but, Everything in the beginning just kind of feels like filler to get to that point. Yeah, I agree. Okay, wait. So, so Andrew, you said you didn't laugh at all in the first episode, but what about the part where Elfo has his like slutty elf girlfriend, and she says, "I've never said this before, but I can't go all the I can't go all the way." <laughs> no, it's funny when you said it. <laughs> Yeah, you should have no, done the I, voice of that character, David. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I can tell you exactly what I, I smiled at the dark chairs. Uh, I smiled at the, um, the, the little bird that goes to see the, the elf prostitute. Yeah. I smiled at that. No, she's a, fa- um, a fairy, that was it. fairy prostitute. The fairy, yeah, the fairy prostitute. <laughs> the fairy prostitute. And that was it. Those are the two moments in that first episode where I, and and all I did was smile. I'm not saying I laughed. I said I, I'm I smiled, and that was it. I made a note of the one joke that I laughed at, which was uh, when uh, the the jester goes, and now you've got Bubkiss, and they throw him out the window. Yeah, uh, yeah. that was all I had. It's this is the, the whole episode is much funnier when you guys are repeating <laughs> saying it. Well, then there was there was two others that you didn't smile at this, Andrea, when it, when Elfo says he's making fun of my dreams. That's what friends do. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm laughing now, but I genuinely did not laugh. <laughs> what about what about when Bean says what's she she gets like uh, choked up and she goes, "What's this feeling that I don't want to drink away?" <laughs> uh, no, I don't remember that one. That was episode one. That was the first episode, yeah. Wait, wait. So, so Andrea, so your your do your notes just say I haven't laughed once, or did you have any other yep. notes? Uh, that, that was, let me let me see what I wrote. Uh, no outright laughs, no jokes. Trying to hit all. I'm just gonna read my bullet points. <laughs> Trying to hit all the tropes 
Only laugh so far, evil people around Cauldron. That was the uh, dark chairs. Mm. Um, okay. Button on prostitute fairy was funny. I smiled. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, so like I said, That's I, it. I, I thought the setup of Elfo as this iconoclast who wants to experience like savory food. Like he, you know, he's only ever eaten candy and he's only ever been around happy singing elves and he wants to experience something different. I thought that was really interesting and, and kind of Yes, fresh. I agree. But then the problem is that starting in episode two, it seems like, Mm-hmm. He just becomes infatuated with Bean, and all the jokes just become about him, like failing to hit it off with with Bean, and the whole yeah. like more more. I, I, would I even call it philosophical or, or you know? But but the, that whole aspect of him is is not fitting into his society and and wanting to experience life differently. Felt like it just dropped completely. Yeah, um, and I go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Andrew. I'm sorry. I was just going to say that um, it felt – it's like he becomes a completely different character. Um, I, and now I've, I've forgotten what I was going to say. So go ahead, Robert. Maybe I'll remember. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, well, real quick. I I thought that – and again, I'm jumping ahead a little bit here. But we find out later that Elfo might have a past or might have a provenance that, that, we, that is supposed to be a surprise. I thought that um, – Something about that could have been a better motivation for him to leave. Because the thing is, he's not just happy all the time in this happy land. He also has a girlfriend, and mm-hmm. it's it's a, there's some adventure to it. So his his just outright statement that I want I don't want to be that happy anymore felt like they were telling you rather than showing you. I know that's such a cheap thing accusation to make, but that's that's really what it felt like. The other thing about how his character changed was that. You know, they, they made him so innocent in episode one that he doesn't even seem to know what war is. But then, like, later, there are other scenes where he actually, like, you, you actually see him fighting with people. Uh, there was actually a scene where he's, he's mm-hmm. repeatedly fighting people who are twice as big as he is. And I was like, uh, I was like, I think that's what it would look like if I fought David Barr currently. <laughs> I would be the, sh- <laughs> I would be the Elfo in that equation, by the way, just for those at home. <laughs> I would pay money to see that, actually. Yeah, that, uh, well. <laughs> Maybe that's a future Netflix special. Right. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> or, you know, that could be like pay-per-view for our high-ranking high Patreon uh, subscribers. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're on to something here. But let me say, I mean, because I mentioned that the characters are basically just Leela, Fry, and Bender. But I feel like yeah. the dynamics of these characters are a little bit broken because I think what makes Leela, Fry, and Bender work is that like, Fry and Bender basically don't give a crap about anything. Uh, Bender much more aggressively so. But Leela cares a lot and wants to get the mission done and, you know, is, is respo- has feelings of responsibility and so on. So there's this conflict between, like, particularly her and Bender where, where she wants to do things right and he wants to just, like, screw around. And mm-hmm. in with these three characters, with, with Bean and Elfo and Lucy – like Bean doesn't care about anything and Lucy certainly doesn't care about anything and Elfo will just go along basically with whatever Bean says. So there's really no yeah. conflict between the three characters right. and, and they all just sort of like don't care about anything. And that's not like, I, I feel like there has to be at least one character who's responsible, I, a responsible or idealistic or, you know, driven right. or, or something. Right. And also Leela was competent, very smart and very competent and, and Bean really, isn't competent. 
in any way. Yeah. She's just drunk all the time and, and angry and upset. Um, she's a teenager who's drunk. Um, so she, it's, it's, it's like this pale copy of those characters from Futurama. Um, it's the same dynamic, but not, you know, not living up to the fullness that those characters were. Yeah, like you said, there's no, there's no conflict between them. Like if you go back to The Simpsons, those are that that whole family. Each character is pulling in a completely different direction from all the others, so it makes some great conflict, and it and it resonates with us because that's kind of what families are like. Mm-hmm. But I, I remember too, um, you guys were saying a little bit earlier how The Simpsons, uh, how this this just kind of the characters were kind of one dimensional, and and you know, Elfo. I think you said Dave Elfo is just kind of playing the same note over and over again that he really wants to be with Bean, but she doesn't want him. Whereas, like in The Simpsons, I remember when that first came out. It was like the first several episodes were about um, were about. Excuse me, just a second. No, no, no. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm, I'm on the phone right now. Guys, on the phone. Good night. Um, pardon me. <laughs> <laughs> so that was awesome. Families. <laughs> so, so the first several episodes of The Simpsons were uh, were you know all about Bart, and it was really funny. But then you started wondering, like, well, how long can this keep going on and being funny about Bart? You know, and then all of a sudden there was like an episode that was all about Homer, and I remember that like blew everybody away at first. They're like, oh, I thought this was a show about this one kid, but now all of a sudden you've got this sh- you've got this whole episode about his dad, and then they did like several episodes about his dad. From what I remember, I mean, I haven't watched it in. I don't know, since I was a, since I was young. But, uh, but then they were like, oh, now we're going to have one about, you know, episodes about Lisa and about, you know, Apu. And they just started pulling in all these different characters that it was mind blowing. It was like, oh my God. Then you, you started seeing like, this show could go on forever because they just have this gold mine of all these really cool characters. And they're going to show you this, like, that each one is really solid and has this, like, backstory that you really can care about and, it just made it so much fun because it wasn't like another sitcom where they have like four actors and, you know, that, that means there's four characters and they explore those four characters and, or, you know, or seven characters and then they're pretty much done and they're just like getting tired and, and everything's winding down. I think that's why The Simpsons is 30 years and still going relatively strong because they can just keep introducing new characters and keep exploring new, new characters that you never met before. Whereas this show, it feels kind of like they're, They've got these characters, and they're not even exploring the ones they started out with. Right. So I, I, I don't want this to turn into just, like, how much better The Simpsons is than this show. Mm-hmm. But I, I kind of have to talk about how – and what you were saying, Tom, reminded me of the one of the first episodes of The Simpsons that I watched was the one where Bart's class takes a field trip to the nuclear power plant. And <laughs> – I mean, I saw it however many years ago, like decades ago, and I still I could still tell you like everything that happens in that episode because it was so funny. But so, for example, they're um, they're they're give, they're getting the kids are getting this tour, and someone at the nuclear power plant is saying how safe nuclear power is. And as the person is saying this, you see the outside, and you see this fish with three eyes kind of swim by the ca- <laughs> the camera. And Blinky. Then, what is it? Blinky. That's Blinky. the name of the fish. Is yeah, Blinky? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then they show the class this, um, this film, sort of like this educational film about nuclear power with these cartoon, like, atoms and stuff. And, uh, and the character says, like, you know, nuclear power is great, but it also creates, like, radioactive waste. And there's, like, these, like, anthropomorphic radioactive waste monsters. And he's like, so let's just sweep them under the carpet where no one will find them for millions of years. 
<laughs> and the show, it had this, in addition to what I was saying about the heart, it had a, um, like, like social comment, like social, socio-political commentary, you know, it had an attitude about nuclear power plants, uh, and, and that was so striking. Um, and it was just, I don't know if people, it's, it's hard to even remember this now, but when the Simpsons first came out, it was like, you would think it was like the end of Western civilization from the way that the media talked about the show. You know, it, it was very transgressive and very dangerous. And you would just see like stuff would be on the show where you're like, can they do like, can they do that? Can they get away with that? I mean, the thing that sticks out in my mind is there's this episode where Homer uh, decides he doesn't want to go to church anymore because uh, mm. it's so boring. And he goes into the he goes into the quickie mart and he says, Apu, how come how come you're not in church? And Apu says, oh, but Mr. Simpson, I am. I'm uh, here. There's my shrine to the elephant headed god uh, Ganesha. And Homer says, uh, no offense, Apu, but when they were handing out religions, you must have been out taking a whiz. And <laughs> yeah, and just as as a kid and even think, think about it now, even more so, like, how did they get away with stuff like that? It was just it was just so yeah. like out there at the time. Well, they are always having their problem with Apu now. Yeah. Yeah. Which they're dealing with, I, I think, last I heard. Yeah, yeah. So if, if people don't know, there was a documentary called, I think, The Problem with Apu. The Problem with Apu, yes. Um, which is, you know, sort of about some of the pro- problematic aspects of the character. I haven't seen the documentary, so I can't comment on that yeah. very specifically. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of legitimate points that it makes, but I do think, I do wonder how much of the, what seems to me the incredible safeness, like playing it safe of disenchantment, Mm-hmm. is a result mm-hmm. of that of of now that there's like the internet and people can just you know people can criticize because I, I actually saw Matt Groening say you know in the early days when they were making the Simpsons and there was no internet they were just making these episodes and putting them out there and they got no feedback they had no idea how people <laughs> felt about any of them and um you know I, I think that yeah the lack of riskiness is uh is maybe a, a sign of the times or something um mm-hmm. and I yeah. would rather that shows were taking risks and crossing the line sometimes than, than not taking any risks at all, which does seem to me kind of what disenchantment is, where, it, where it's at right now. And also Netflix is a place you can take risks. Uh, it's kind of hard to take risks nowadays, though, when you have, like, uh, what's his name, James Gunn? Is that his name? The, yeah, the no, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Guy. He, he makes some admittedly pretty horrible jokes like 10 years ago, and now his career is, like, basically over, which is it's horrifying that that can happen to somebody so I kind of don't blame him. Like, is Netflix really a safe space? Or, or you mean you meant safe space in terms of you're not allowed to offend anybody there? Well, there's no sponsors. Yeah, there's no sponsors. So oh. you can, you're not going to get, you know, cut off. <laughs> you're, well, you're, yeah, you're not, not going to get boycotted. On the other hand, on the other hand you, could, you could say something that could cause everybody else in the industry to say, you're, you're done. We're, not, we're I, never going to hire you again. But I, I think there's, there's backlash to the backlash with James Gunn, though, um, from what so. I'm hearing. Because um, a lot of the the actors are are getting together and saying we want him back, we want to use his script, we want him back. Yeah, so they're saying that, that is but going Disney down. is apparently not budging, and and the actors aren't saying, well, well then we're all walking. I mean, that they're just well, they're kind of going, okay, well we'll still we'll still take the money, but we're not going to like it. Um, uh, well, well, I think they're also under contracts. So there's there might not be a lot they can do. Oh, okay, okay, you know. But I think the other problem with with uh, with this show, you know, you're talking about that great nuclear power episode, which I have that is like burned into my mind. Uh, bad pun, but 
Um, I, I totally remember that episode, and I think uh, it's just harder to resonate maybe with fantasy. Like, they maybe should have spent more time. Like, you know, in, in a real-world show like The Simpsons, kind of set in our real-world sort of, you can look at all the things that we have to deal with and all of our fears and nuclear power and all this stuff. Like, is that really safe? We have it. We don't know if we like it. It kind of makes us nervous. We try not to talk about it. You can play with all that stuff, but it's hard to play with all that stuff in this thing set in, like, a magical land with magical creatures. And I think maybe if they had spent more time thinking about, like, how do all those myths and legends relate to the stuff that we're afraid of, really, and the stuff that we really think about, um, maybe it would have been able to resonate more. I don't know. But wait, are you saying, yeah. are you saying Tom, you think it's hard? Because I, I feel like... It may be, maybe it's a little harder to do it in fantasy, but I feel like in so many ways, fantasy and science fiction is such a perfect way to address so, like social issues and controversial topics and things like that. I mean, that's like what the Twilight Zone did. That's what the original Star Trek did. I mean, I feel well, like the Twilight I could... Zone didn't do it in like a in like a you know a knights and and armor and dragons sense though. Yeah. It did it in a, in our world, but with everything twisted. So they're doing it in a completely different world with all these unfamiliar characters. And I, and I think you're right. I think it can really resonate. But I think you really have to think about, like, uh, you know, like Godzilla is, uh, Stephen King has this he has this essay where he talks about how Godzilla is really just our fear of nuclear power like, or, or of nuclear bombs, nuclear war. Because Godzilla was, you know, he was created in this in this uh, test in the Pacific in, a, in an atoll with a nuclear weapon. And he comes out of the ocean and destroys Tokyo. And so Stephen King is like, that's not, that, that, that resonates with us. Number one, because we're scared of giant lizards, but also because we're <laughs> terrified of nuclear, nuclear bomb, nuclear war. And, uh, maybe if, I think you're right, it can really resonate, but I think it's easier to resonate when you have a show like The Simpsons where you're like, we can do anything and we can play with all these things that we're already scared of. I think maybe you have to do a little bit more thinking to, make that happen in a, well, in a well, you know, world. I was thinking about this earlier today and thinking, you know, I, I wish that this show mo engaged more with contemporary politics or social events, all, all the kind of current events kind of stuff. And so I was trying to think, well, what, what, what do I think that they should do that would use the, the fantasy framework to talk about things that are in the headlines right now? And so here's my pitch for a disenchantment <laughs> episode. Uh, Elfo gets invited to speak at a Hogwarts-style wizard school, but gets deplatformed for not being cheerful and harmless enough. Yeah. I think that would be pretty funny, <laughs> you know. And, and would have a ha, and, and would have a perspective, and would um, you know, yeah, would would even if you hated it, you know, at least it would be it would have a viewpoint, uh, and it wouldn't just be like, oh, here's a fantasy world, and people are acting silly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hey, I, speaking of um, the commentary in the show, um, is anyone did did you pick up King Zog being a little uh, Trumpish? Did anyone was anyone fixated on that? I was I was I was noting the Trump moments from uh, King Zog in this. I, um, I thought I thought Una seemed very Melania. Oh yeah. Me. Well, there's that. There's um, there's him saying something like. Uh, Oh God! Wait, I have it in my notes. Something about like lying to me in any other way but flattery is a crime. He says that at one point. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I do remember. And that. I imagine yeah. his his kid might be a stand-in for any of the worthless, any talentless of the ones, Trump yeah. offspring. And also, he he uh, he puts the kid down constantly. So yeah, that is very Trumpian as well. Yeah, <laughs> I wonder. I mean, because I. 
I wonder how long this has been in development. I think it takes a long time to get animation it, it does. done. Yeah. So I, I wonder how, how much it could be. I mean, you know, like, like how, how much it could be just about President Trump, given how much time it would have taken to get this whole thing moving. I mean, yeah, he, he's, he's been doing this. Trump, I mean, has been on the news since 2016, 2015. When did he say he was going to run? So, you know. But if you yeah, didn't expect I, that he was going to win, would you have wanted to make the show the king about him? If you know, if you were anticipating that he wouldn't be president, you know what I mean? Like, right. I don't know. Well, he's a ridiculous enough character in real life that it it you couldn't not you know it could be a thing. It could have been it crossed his mind that yep. oh what what if what if he actually does win? Well, here's here's what happens, and boy. <laughs> Maybe yeah, Tom, so. Tom, were you going to say something? Oh, sorry, Tom, were you going to say something? No, no, no. I think uh, I think you're probably right that you know, I think uh, this show started getting put together in 2014. I just read a couple of articles about it oh, today. Oh, really? Yeah, and so and I think I think I agree, Dave. I think maybe uh, you know maybe maybe they were still developing the show when Trump was running, but I think most people thought, well, he's not going to win, so. Um, so down the road, do we really want to have the show center around him? I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe they, you know, they they snuck in some lines, you know, more more recently. But um, I don't know. But but Robert, was there something else you were going to say? Yeah, just about the the issue you guys brought up about the social commentary as well. Yeah, I felt that there were a few punches pulled. Uh, you know, one episode in particular, and maybe I'm again jumping ahead, uh, but. You know, there was the third episode where you got some commentary on like religion, uh, and I felt like I was like, "Oh, are we really we're going to do this?" Okay, um, but I felt like some of the the jokes were really just talking about how, you know, in the past religion was this really barbaric thing, um, mm. and I thought that they were going to go even, you know, maybe talk about it in a more contemporary way, talking about, um, you know, the, I mean, there's there's plenty to criticize. Uh, but I felt like they, they pulled up short on that one. Uh, also, um, I wanted a little more, and maybe this is a little unfair, I don't know, but I wanted a little more about Bean learning about <laughs> just the concept of privilege. I mean, there are times when she doesn't seem fully aware of how good she has it. Uh, maybe that's a part of being a teenager and all that. Um, well, but that's intentionally, you know, that's intentional humor. Like when she's interacting with Bunty, her chambermaid or whatever, mm-hmm. and she says stuff like, uh, oh, what is it? Like there's, there's some line about, you know, you know what it's like to, this bed is so soft. You know what that's like to sleep in a bed like this. And, and Bunty's just gaze. Oh, no, no. She, she like lies down in the bed and it's like the most amazing thing that's <laughs> ever happened to her. Right. Yes. Well, there was that. that yeah. I, go ahead. There was this, there was an episode where she gets kicked out of the castle and has to learn some yeah. things, but the episode ends with her getting put back in and everything's back together again. So I felt like they're, they're they were leaning toward changing the character in some way, but then then they decided, wait, let's go, let's reset everything and start over. So yeah, that's the one where she ends up in Bunty's house with the nine kids and the you know the one where she has to go mm-hmm. get a job, and she does have this realization like, oh oh, this is not good. Um, but then no- nothing really is done with it. Right. You know? Yeah, it's funny. Like like you, you said, Dave, I'm thinking more and more about how you said fantasy is this great way to to comment, to do social commentary. And they, they just seem to completely avoid it. Like, like maybe they don't – maybe it makes sense that they're, they're not going to talk about Trump in the show. But could they not have talked about, like, police brutality or, uh, 
you know, any of the issues we're facing, like the 1%, they couldn't, it seems like they, there's so many opportunities to, to get into that stuff and they just never really did. Well, uh, here's my, my take on that, which is I, it felt to me like they were, this was about the overarching story of what happens, uh, to this, these, three people and it wasn't so much about making jokes the way that the Simpsons and Futurama did um and, and they also spent uh, quite a bit of time making references to fantasy movies like you know Lord of the Rings or um Game of Thrones um so they they felt like they were trying to make fun of those things and at the expense of making sharp smart jokes see i was um, shocked at the lack of references to what? fantasy things i mean there was the iron throne from game of thrones in the first episode right uh and then there was hansel and gretel from the grim yeah. brothers fairy tales what are some other like oh okay what, what are Here, some, wrote... some some like fantasy that only like fantasy fans would know you know what i mean uh well i mean the king and this is towards the end you find out is essentially robert baratheon from game of thrones uh, the turkeys that they use. Wait, wait, uh, to send oh, oh, the turkeys. Okay, the turkeys. That's funny. But oh, wait, how is he Robert Baratheon? Because he was when he was married to uh, Dagmar, or what Dag, whatever the first yeah, wife's Dagmar, name yeah. was. He was like in shape, and he was a, he was known as the big warrior. And then she died, and and he became like this fat, uh, angry guy. You don't remember that from the? No, I do. That doesn't strike me nine. as like. I mean, that's like every king is like that. I mean, <laughs> but that's very specifically Robert Baratheon, where he was known as this great warrior, and then by the end, after um, what's the name? This the Ned sister dies. Um, he kind of loses interest and just becomes this fat drunk guy. Her name is Lyanna that's Stark, Andrea. Yes, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I'm saying I've committed a great uh, sin there. <laughs> Sorry. No, but I... Okay, but I'm saying like I, because I, I, I actually wanted more things where I felt like I, I mean, even Game of Thrones is so mainstream these days because the HBO show. I mean, I want references to like, you know, like old Dungeons and Dragons modules from the '80s, and oh. like, you know what I mean? Like, there was nothing like that in in, in here at all. Yeah, you mean like um, parody specifically? Because that that thing with Zog that uh, Andrew's talking about that wasn't exactly parody. That was that was, um, you know, that was just the character being built in the show uh yeah i thought there would be more parody i actually thought i was wondering like are they going to go after fans of this genre are there is there going to be some mm -hmm. like moment where the characters break the fourth wall you know similar to that episode of saturday Night live where um william shatner tells the star trek fans to get a life i thought that there would be a mm -hmm. moment like that in the show that really took some of the fans to task and uh, it didn't do that not that it yeah. has to but i was just curious i thought it would I want to. I want stuff that I can go on my podcast and show off how much I know about all these obscure things, and they're just like they're not <laughs> giving me anything here. But but that's not what your general audience is going to know. They're not going to know those obscure things. They're going to know Game of Thrones. They're going to know Lord of the Rings. There there were a couple of Lord of the Rings references in there, where they made fun of Lord or of the like, Rings. Or they could have they could have gone off on like World of Warcraft. Even though I've never played World of Warcraft, and uh, and you know there's probably most. It's not a really mainstream thing, but everybody knows who it knows what it is. Like that great episode of uh, that great Park. episode of World of of, uh, of South Park. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but it's. I, I feel like if there's a lot of in jokes, even if you don't get the in jokes, you know that there's something there. You know, it gives this sort of texture and um, just sort of feeling of kind of I don't know coolness or something to it. And 
because uh, you know, there's all these science in the background. And but if you which which, by the way, go by way too fast. And, I, you know, you have to I, at least I had to pause it to go back and, and read them, uh, which I found somewhat distracting. But but they're all like and some of them, are, the, the, the one that sticks out in my mind is the funniest is the pillage. Be- the band is the pillage people. I did. I wrote um, that down in my notes. I was like, yeah, pillage but, people. But okay. some of those things, it should be like some ref- you know, some obscure reference. And you would be like, I don't know what that is, but. Now I want to find out that, you know, it, it would just, it's just like, cause I, I feel like, you know, things that you don't quite understand. I, I just like the feeling of that. I mean, like I grew up reading, um, Robert Asprin's myth series. Part of the reason I'm such a big fan of, uh, humorous fantasy is because that was my favorite series, series growing up. And there were all sorts of references in that to the Godfather and like just everything. And I had no idea what any of them were. Um, but. I, I just liked that. It, it gives you this feeling of there's like a mystery to, to solve. There's there's some layer that you you can sense beneath the water, but you can't quite make out. Um, whereas this this show just seems very all on the surface. Uh, if you want to, if you want an obscure reference, did anybody catch the Mrs. Kravitz reference? No, I did. I did. I forget the exact. I, I I caught the line. Yeah. I don't remember the exact thing either, but it was like somebody was peeking out the window like Mrs. Kravitz or so-and-so Kravitz was peeking out the castle yes. window and noticed <laughs> something happening and reported it. I was like, oh, my gosh, whose head did that? That, that didn't go over my head, but everybody else. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I missed that. God, I wish I'd heard that. I love a good Mrs. Kravitz, uh, Gladys Kravitz reference. That's yeah, right. <laughs> I think you might have to explain that one to me, Tom. <laughs> oh, uh, that's from that's from Bewitched, Bewitched. the next door neighbor in Bewitched was always looking out the window and saying, "Abner, Abner. what are you doing now?" And he was What's reading his paper. You know, <laughs> Samantha's out there turning somebody's head into a horse's head, and then she sees it and she freaks out. And he's just reading his paper. He's real jaded. He doesn't look up. He says, "Sit down. You're nosy." <laughs> But but yeah, so I mean, I, you know, because I, I feel like a lot of this is intentional, like that even from interviews, I, I read that they didn't want it to be just like a parody of fantasy tropes, you know, and they wanted the characters in the world to have its own reality, which is fine as far as it goes. But I feel like if you're going to do that, you need us, you need better characters, you know, you need a stronger world um, because the world just feels very generic, you know, it just feels mm-hmm. like there's a king and there's like a peasants and like whatever. It, it doesn't feel... Like like the lack of references, you know, is is fine if there's something else there for you to kind of grapple on grapple with, but but there just isn't really. Yeah, I I think you're right. I think there there should be at least some way to engage the viewer. Like if you're maybe you don't want it to be all a bunch of parodies about all these other works in the same genre. You don't want to do that. You want to have your own original thing. But you have to know the person sitting there watching this has seen all that stuff and. They're not engaged unless you're gonna you're gonna kind of speak to them in some way. They're very, the viewer is very savvy and has has seen at least the mainstream fantasy stuff. So engage them, you know, pull them in. Especially if it's a comedy and anything can happen, go ahead and use those things now and again to kind of pin them, pull them back in, and be like, hey, we, this is for you. We know you're sitting there watching this. We're gonna you know throw you some cookies every once in a while. Right, and the and the viewers have seen Shrek before, right? We've seen. Like 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 so much of this stuff is just sort of Shrek like to me the the sort of fairy tale kingdom with like sort of anachronistic elements in it. Um, yeah, it just needs more, in my opinion. I just wanted to get funnier. 
you know? Yeah. Well, that's, I guess that's another thing is that these episodes, since it's on Netflix, the episodes can be as long or as short as they want. And I don't understand why a lot of the, the, the jokes that just to my mind very obviously fall flat weren't edited out. You know, like you have a 27 minute long episode. Why not edit out yeah. five minutes of kind of, you know, so-so jokes and make it 22 minutes, you know? Right. Well, that's 20, uh, 20 minutes is what a regular half hour show is. You know, 21, when you take out 21, yeah. 21, yeah. So they're actually writing more than um, a network show would have. Yeah. yeah, especially when you take in consideration some of the some of the jokes I would classify as family guy jokes where the joke is just the fact that they're dragging it out. Doesn't matter what it is. It could be anything. But the fact that they're dragging it out and you're waiting for it to end is the joke. They did that a few times and I was like, oh, guys, come on. Don't do this. <laughs> but so yeah, it, it didn't. That didn't really seem to work when they did that. When they would drag it out, like I, I got what they were going for, but for some reason it wasn't. I don't know. Like when Peter falls down on the sidewalk and skins his knee, and he goes ah ah, and it keeps going, going, going. You're. I don't know. I was laughing uncontrollably watching that. But but this, I was watching. I was like, yeah, that's what they're going for. But it's not. For some reason, it's not getting me. But so some of I think Andrea and Robert, if I'm remembering right, you said that you wanted it, or you wanted it to be more episodic or more. No, no, I didn't say. It. I, I just that's what I went in expecting, and it wasn't that. I just wanted to be funnier. I want the <laughs> the jokes to be. Fun. I want to laugh. It's a comedy show. Make me laugh, and I wasn't laughing nearly as much as I thought I should, considering yeah. that it's. Well, because because I wanted I thought it should have been much more serialized. I, I I was expecting it to be you know because I feel like that's the the moment we're in now with these streaming shows where you're going to watch everyone's going to watch every episode in order and binge it. Mm -hmm. You know why not have a great story that continues from episode to episode? And I think like people were saying that you know it, it, the the plot doesn't really kick in until the last two episodes, and there are little thing like little things seeded in throughout. But you could basically skip. I think about five of the episodes, maybe more, and, and not miss anything important. Well, f fifth episode is when they started – I started warming up to it. Um, which episode is I that? started – I feel like episode uh, five, which is um, – Start to the convent. Yeah, the, the where she becomes the um, executioner. Yeah. Okay. Where she has to go get a job. Um that that sort of made me – it had a, a better jokes and I started warming up. I think I started getting more invested in the characters. Um, but, you know, it didn't – I didn't start really actually enjoying myself till maybe seven or eight. Um, let, let me just say about the convent because I thought that was a really promising direction. You know, right. I thought it was going to be an episode about – Bean goes to the convent, and it just seemed like that was that that was just a, a a scenario that was just rich with dramatic and humorous possibilities. And then two or three minutes later, she's she's left it. I I, I found yeah. that sort of baffling. Yeah, that was one of the pulled punches I was talking about when I met. Uh, you know, I was like, oh well, here's here's an opportunity to really explore this particular issue. But yeah, they they that episode got jerked around many different places because first it was convent, then it was the executioner business mm -hmm. then it ends with Canceling a Gretel. yeah yeah and let me also say there were this was part of a string of episodes where um 
And this speaks to both the, the plotting and the, uh, the character development. Um, string of episodes where Bean is trying to figure out what she's good at. Um, these episodes end with what I felt was a, a very hastily slapped together action scene uh, where Bean basically saves the day. Um, and I'm like, well, she's a warrior. <laughs> how, how have we not figured this out yet? Uh, I mean, the, the episode after this ends with Bean taking out a three-story swamp monster with just a sash. Uh, that's, you may, I, I don't know if you remember that part. Like, if you blink, you missed yeah. it. It, it. It was mm-hmm. like, it felt like they needed to wrap up the episode quickly. So they had Bean act like a superhero for like two seconds. And then, they, then they're still back to this business of wondering what Bean is good at. It was, it, was, it was a very frustrating string of episodes in the middle for me. That's a really good point. Yeah, and, and it just makes her more like Leela. You know, it's like they – it's sort of the gravitational pull of, of just becoming another Leela. Mm-hmm. Um, you said uh, episode seven what, – what was episode seven, Andrea, that you said you started the, warming up a little bit more? Uh, well, five, I started – not hating it. Seven, I thought was funny. It had some really good jokes. It, that was when the um, the giant, the girlfriend yeah, giant. Yeah, that was pretty. That was pretty funny. Yeah, they had some really good jokes. Where there was one where the the waitresses are talking about how uh, Lucy's sexy. He goes, one of them says he's ugly, sexy, and the other one says, "Yeah, like your dad." <laughs> <laughs> so there's some sharpness there. <laughs> And then there was there's the uh, horse who can laugh like a person, and then he gets he gets hooked up with the hermit, and the hermit's like, "Oh, you have such a great laugh!" And then like five minutes later, he's like, "I'm profoundly lonely, but I think you should leave." You leave, yeah. <laughs> well, the whole thing with uh, with Elfo pretending to have a girlfriend, I'm, I know that's kind of like been done before, but I, I thought that mm-hmm. was legitimately funny. Um, and then that episode yeah. had the um, the, the like uh, hallucinogenic trip. Yes. Um, yeah. And then yeah, and then they 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 meet the giant, and then there's some sort of like funny kind of like. Um, well, she she puts the crystal ball eye in for her eye, and she sees the truth about everybody. That was but, cool. But there's some sort of I, I is it would it be right to call it feminist? There there's some like you know like stuff with the giant where she's she's she's, she's I forget isn't she like a grad student or something? Yes. Yeah. Um, she goes, I'm a grad yeah. student. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, Why I, do you hate people who are different? That was the whole, pretty much the episode. It was what was not to hate, you know, people who are different, not to demonize others. That was sort of the underlying message, but, you know, they didn't, they don't lean very hard on message. They sort of lean, you know, they sort of hint at it, but never really go there. Yeah, but so I, I thought that episode was, you know, it was all right. I mean, I, I laughed a, a lot mm-hmm. um, in that yeah. episode. Um, yeah. And then. Yeah, so then let's get into the last couple episodes because then there actually is a, a really interesting story and some really clever twists. Uh, mm-hmm. I agree. In the last few episodes, um, so let's see. I, I don't even know if I could even reconstruct now everything that happens. But so let's see. So so uh, we find so there's the statue of Bean's mom that we find out is actually the queen. It's actually her mom who's been turned to stone. And that the reason King Zog uh, has wanted this elixir of life so bad is not for himself, but because he wants to bring his wife, his his previous wife, back to life. Um, and uh, I don't know. Does anyone remember? Can anyone uh, anyone want to pick up what happens uh, happens in these two episodes? 
Uh, he well, doesn't he tell her? That, basically, reveals to Bean that she's the reason her mother died because she switched the wines. Everybody thought he he thinks it's trying. Everybody was trying to poison him, but um, so when the baby, when she was a baby, she she turned the wines around and. Yeah, um, so so there were Dagmar two glasses of wine on a rotating mm-hmm. table thing, and she was reaching for some grapes or something. Um, yes, yeah. So the so the uh, queen ended up drinking the glass that had been intended for the king, um, and yeah, I thought it was a fantastic character development that this king, who by the way I thought the actor he was my favorite part of the whole thing was the actor who played the king. Just his accent and the way he handled everything, I thought was fun to watch. Yeah, he, he's Bender. And, um, I don't know if you guys know that. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna, yeah. I was just gonna say that. Yeah, he was fantastic, but uh, but but it was a cool twist where the whole the whole show you think he's just this complete jerk despot, and then and you know he's looking for this elixir of life because he wants to be immortal and he's selfish, and then I love how in the in the last couple of episodes it actually turns out that he's. Not well. He's sort of selfish, but he he doesn't want the elixir of life for himself. He wants it for, he wants it to bring his dead wife back. And that's the whole reason he's been looking for it for the whole series. And I was like, that is, to me, that was like one of those moments when somebody you've been looking at for a long time suddenly gets hit by a different light, mm-hmm. and you think, oh wow, this person is completely different than what I thought. That was a really fun moment for me. I, I really thought that was that was great. Although, isn't there a line in the first episode or something where he says, "Don't you want a magic daddy?" Like, don't you want, you know, I need the elixir of life because wouldn't, wouldn't it be cool to have a magic daddy? And she's like, I'm going to pretend you didn't say that or something. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember that one. Yeah, he did say that, yeah. So I wonder if the if they got to episode nine and and they're like, oh, wait, we should rewrite this. But it was too late to change. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. It, that That's weird. I mean, I guess. I, I kind of feel like I kind of feel like they had episode nine and ten already written. And that's why I say, like, I wonder if. He Matt Groening went to went to Netflix and was like, "I got this great idea for a an hour and a half long movie, cartoon movie." And they're like, "Yeah, sounds cool. Um, could you stretch it to be a series?" And then they wrote kind of episodes one through seven after that. Like, "Yeah, sure. We'll you know we'll stretch it out." And 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 if you look at who wrote and directed, like it's a different person wrote and directed each show, which I think is kind of mm-hmm. common with serials. But yeah. I don't know for some reason, like with shows like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which I became a huge fan of late in life. It just seems to work better when they, like, because Joss Whedon would write, like, every seventh or every fifth episode or something, so it would keep you hooked in. And then the ones he didn't write would still have, like, good enough story and fun stuff that it wasn't too spotty. I mean, the best thing is when it's, like, J. Michael Straczynski and he writes, like, 129 episodes of Babylon 5 himself. (laughs) I don't know, which I don't know how the heck he... Yeah. Is that true? He really did that? Yeah, I, I I don't remember the exact numbers, but it's something like there's 140 episodes and he wrote 121 of them or something like that. That's insane. That's incredible. Like a boss. <laughs> 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 yeah, I will say uh, episode nine uh, has that moment where uh, – and we're getting into spoilers now, but you've already given a spoiler warning. So uh, yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, that has that moment where uh, Elfo dies – and this is after they've spent a lot of time trying to extract his blood and use it for this elixir. Uh, they finally complete this quest where they get the elixir and Bean has to make a decision about um, who to give the elixir to, uh, Elfo or, or her mother. And she decides to go for the mother. 
And uh, I thought that, you know, there was a case where the, that showed the potential of this show that, that, uh, you know, they were willing to have uh, the main character make a very difficult decision, a decision that we know is going to be fraught with all sorts of consequences. We know we're not buying it that Elfo's dead, obviously. Uh, So, um, which is fine. That's, that's, you know, that's sort of, it's just like Jon Snow. Um, yeah, I was just thinking that earlier. Yeah, there's, like, your, there's your Game of Thrones Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, um, so yeah, I, I like that, and, and that had a lot of potential. Uh, but again, makes me look back at how there were so many episodes before this where I'm like, why is it taking so long to get here? Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's sort of like all of a sudden, became, everything happened in the last eight, last three episodes. You know, eight, nine, and ten, just like boom, boom, boom. Yeah, and there's so, and, and suddenly everybody had depth. Yeah, and there, but there's there's so little affection between these three characters, which which made some of these scenes like like I like the idea of being having to decide to to leave Elfo for dead, but th- there's so little affection between them up until now. There are many moments where uh, she like just dismisses him. Uh, there, you know, there's that awful part in the Viking episode where. Uh, uh, Elfo tries to get in the way of her uh, sleeping with one of the Vikings out of bitterness, which is just really painful and difficult to watch. I mean, they were trying to establish that he was turning into a bit of a jerk, but goddamn, that was tough to watch. I see. I thought that was I thought that was funny when he was going. I'm just trying to control you, uh, like you know, like he's becoming so, yeah. her father. He's like, oh, but I don't want to do. Th- oh, and he just does it like <laughs> yeah. over and over again. Oh, <laughs> that had me laughing. That part I like, but th- up until that, yeah, the uh, uh, I don't know. I don't. I mean, I'm I'm already a little on the fence about him being like like his arc being about his unrequited thing for being. I thought it would be nice to give him a, more of a of a quest to be on, um, especially right. since he's sitting around waiting for his blood to be extracted, which I, and doesn't seem to object to it. So this is another case of Elfo's character, not fully making sense to me. Like, yes, I understand you want to get a taste of misery, but like you're sitting around waiting for them to vivisect you. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, there was a funny line where, um, the King says, if, if this doesn't work, I'm going to grind him up into pastes and, 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 Try that, and, and Elfo says, "Boy, if the pace doesn't work, I'm going to be in big trouble." <laughs> but, 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 but yeah, but there's this weird, yeah, like, like there's this weird disconnect between how okay he is with, you know, being killed for his blood versus you know being rejected by Bean. I, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. It's his, his character is not terribly consistent, at least as far as I can see. No, it's not. Um, well, so then we can say, so, and I thought the, like, as episodes eight and nine develop where, um, Bean's mom turns out to be, uh, I don't know if, even if I can say if she turns out, I was going to say she turns out to be a bad guy, but actually I'm not sure if that's the case or not, but she turns out to be scheming against, uh, Dreamland anyway. Yeah. And so it turns out that she was the one who tried to poison, uh, King Zog. And then because, being turned the little spinner table thing around, uh, the queen ended up poisoning herself and turning herself into stone. Um, but so now that she's been revived, now she can execute her her scheme, which involves turning everyone into dreamland to stone, and then sort of spiriting being away uh, on a ship with a bunch of weird creatures. On a ship with a bunch of weird monsters. Yeah. So we we definitely don't know what's going on. Um, you know, as season one 
wraps up. But I, I thought, I mean, all those twists were great. I mean, I thought that they were, mm-hmm. you know, even in a non, you know, in a non-cartoon, non-comedy show. Uh, yeah. yeah. That would be terrific, you know? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I read a Variety article today about the show, and they had a, an interview with Matt Groening in it. And he was saying that uh, that they plotted the show as a drama originally, and then they added jokes after. And I thought, like, maybe they didn't spend mm-hmm. as much time on the drama of episodes one through seven, and maybe they put all the time on the drama into, like, the last three episodes, because to me, those were by far the best. Like, they were the Absolutely. most entertaining. They they were the funniest, too. And I was thinking, like, maybe it's maybe it's easier for that team of writers. I guess I read, too, that there was a they had a writer's room of 12, and maybe it was easier for that team of 12 writers or for any writers to be funnier when there's real stress and real you know real heartbreak and real real things going on it's easier to be funny about that than it is to be just like randomly funny about in, in a vacuum so maybe that was it maybe you know they built this as a drama but all the effort of the drama like all the real stuff that really gets you in in like a a, hard, a difficult way not a funny way but all the like you said the betrayals and the reversals and and the shockers and and all this stuff going on was in the last three episodes, and that's where the most humor is because there's just more general like, energy there. Well, I feel like it's a it's a standard length for a season for ten episodes, and they they got twenty episodes right off the bat, and so I think maybe it was just tempting to end season one with these big reveals and twists and everything, but then they had then they were sort of committed to producing seven or eight episodes leading up to that, and yeah. just didn't have enough story uh to 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 do that and so just kind of had to you know slot in a bunch of random they're like oh let's go visit una's kingdom let's you know like whatever like um so yeah i mean i wonder if they had had if they had only gotten 10 episodes you know if they had only gotten a 10 episode series order uh if you know th- these twists and things with the mom would have been like episode four or something, mm-hmm. and then you know uh, the, the the series would maybe uh, be a lot tighter and and have a lot more to recommend it episode to episode. Yeah, yeah. Can I tell you the the episode that that I think disappointed me the most? I know we're we're going back to the episode the the sort of I don't want to say wasted episodes, but episodes that could have been. Uh, more tied to this plot that really starts to come together in the last few. So episode three um, is the one where uh, Bean gets exercised and mm-hmm. uh, Lucy gets taken out of her. And then, but then she decides to go rescue Lucy because Lucy's about to get thrown into some pit of Mordor and uh, will be <laughs> destroyed. I was really bummed about that one because that I thought was an opportunity to actually show a bond between the two characters that felt genuine. And um, I understand, like, logically it makes sense that, you know, Lucy saves um, uh, Bean's life, so therefore Bean wants to repay the favor. But Lucy only saves Bean's life to save his own life, not because, not out of some, like, deep bond they might have been forming. And when she goes to rescue him, she, she um, just adopts him back into her life again without any new, you know, like, negotiation, without being like, hey, you can't have me destroying the the kingdom anymore we have to we have to work together now you can't just be you wrecking my life uh so i was really bummed about that i really wanted that to be an episode that had some of this heart that we've been talking about um 
and really could have could have shown some depth to the Lucy character, even though I guess Lucy's always going to be one note here, which makes sense since he's a demon. Uh, but I just, I don't know. I, I, I thought that that show, that episode missed a beat and could have had another, just another element of just showing how they cared about each other. I also liked the, the idea of the demons being a necessary part of society, that they're just a, a rebellious uh, part of society that... Um, that questions authority. They could have explored that a little more, but the episode just ends with the demons being loose in the city and it never gets referenced again. Yeah. I was going to say yeah. that, that, that goes nowhere. And yeah. that's really, that would be really fun to see that, but gone. Yeah. Yeah. So Robert, how would you, uh, when they hear this, uh, hear this geeks guide to the galaxy episode and they decide <laughs> that, well, what we really need is Robert on the writing team. Well, how would you have changed that, uh, that ending? I think there could have been more about, um, well, yeah, there would have been a couple of things. Like, I think we could have had Lucy actually compel Bean or convince Bean to do something rebellious that's actually for something good. I mean, maybe Lucy doesn't regard it as good, but maybe just standing up to her father, or like, uh, you know, something like that where, where uh, Bean just realizes, like, yes, it's good to have a little demon on your shoulder once in a while. Otherwise, you just be a robot just following orders all the time. So I thought that mm. it would need that element, and also at the very end, when she breaks um, Lucy out of the little uh, prison that the exorcist has put him in, uh, I don't know. They could have, she could have said, she could have negotiated with him. She could have said something like, "Look, we just can't be tearing things apart anymore. We have to, we have to. Our relationship has to change as a result of this." None of that happens. Mm. It's just she rescues him. Everything's back to square one. Uh, the demons get loosed, and it never gets referenced again. Uh, nobody seems to have learned much, <laughs> I, you know, so that, that's I mean, my I complaint. I feel like part of the issue yeah. is that, you know, how close can their relationships be after two episodes or whatever? You know, they just met in episode one. But I agree with you that if Bean is going to risk her life to rescue Lucy or whatever, then we we need to have some reason to care about their relationship. But I wonder if that's more of an argument for not having Bean rescuing, like risking her life to rescue Lucy in episode four or whatever, that the the characters' um, adventures, as the, such as they are, should be more low key um, until enough time has passed that they they have established these relationships, and then if one of the characters gets kidnapped or their life's in danger, uh, it means something to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and yeah, and that that maybe they just rushed into these sort of action adventure stories. I mean, like in the fir- in the very first episode, Bean grabs Elfo and Lucy by the hands and like drags them off the cliff with her as she's plummeting, presumably to her death. Uh, like maybe maybe they don't want to jump off the cliff. Like you know what I mean? It's it, 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 there's like this yeah, it's just this like weird weirdly like over dramatic things you know, given how much character development there's been. Yeah. Well, yeah, and uh, essentially everything felt like filler. We got to do something here, so let's do this. Um, yeah. But there was nothing that you know. There was nothing. There's no backstory to it. There's no ca- no character development, no relationship development. So none of it hits anywhere. You know. It might be kind of the way this this the way this was built too. Like in the Variety article I just mentioned, the uh, Matt Groening said the whole idea for the show came out because he was. You know, he likes to, he's obviously, he's an artist and, uh, he was drawing, he had the sketchbook and he was filling it up with all these mythical creatures. 
and over over several years and he thought you know it would be great to to do a show with all these characters and he thought they don't really fit into the simpsons anywhere and they don't really fit into oh i guess futurama was over by then but he he said you know i, I guess what i want to do is a fantasy show with this so maybe I don't know, maybe because he had all these all these sketches, he wanted to use them all, he wanted to get them in there, and, and that was his driving force, and so it was less like based off of, I want to tell this great story, and more based off of, here are these really cool visuals I want to use. Yeah, I mean, I don't, it, it's hard for me to believe that the sort of people who would work on a show like this aren't huge fantasy fans, but... It doesn't feel like this is a show that was made by huge fantasy fans. Um, you know, I, I don't get the feeling that these are people who are intimately familiar with Robert Asprin and Craig Shaw Gardner and Terry mm -hmm. Pratchett and, uh, you know, like all these sort of humorous fantasy authors. Um, and, you know, may, maybe these are people who are more into, you know, because cause like Futurama, you felt like there's a, there's some there's a, at least some people, maybe all people on this show know a lot about science fiction. But I don't get the same sense about fantasy with this. Um, and, and if that's the case, maybe they, they need to bring on a few more hardcore fantasy fans. Is that your pitch for uh, getting on the writing team? Hey, I, I'm the host of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy, Andrea. There's no, <laughs> there's no place I'd rather be. It would what, be a step what, down. Anything it? would be a step down from this, yeah. from this open being heights that I currently <laughs> occupy. Um, but no, but I mean, there are other fantasy fans out there who I'm sure could use, could use the work. And, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, like I said, I, and it may just be that this was a conscious choice not to like indulge in the like fantasy geekiness, hardcore kind of stuff. Um, but if so, that's a mistake in my opinion, although I'm not like the best judge for, you know, for a general audience, obviously. But that's just what I would want to see. Um, see, Tom, like you're a you're a fan of, uh, like I mentioned, Douglas Adams and Terry Pratchett and Robert Sheckley and people like that, right? Do you uh, you agree with me that that this needs uh, needs more of that kind of kind of stuff in it? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, yeah, I, I think I hadn't thought about this until you mentioned it, but. I was trying to picture if anybody on the show was a huge Pratchett fan, and I had to think, no, they can't be. I mean, I mean, maybe, but I, I really, after watching the show, I really doubt it because there's so like Pratchett explored like every nook and cranny of the fantasy world for humor, of like the, the whole fantasy genre for humor, and to stand on those shoulders, like you, you have to think, well, the bar's way up here. And it seems like they had, they didn't even see that bar. Like they were just like, "Well, we're gonna make we're gonna make some jokes. And we're gonna be over here." And and then one day they're gonna like start reading Pratchett. And they're gonna be like, "Oh my gosh, whoa, what did we do?" <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it could definitely use a lot more of that. I feel like it could use like we've all been saying, it could use a lot more heart and just just like the last two episodes had, I thought had a lot of heart, and it was a surprise after the first seven seven and a half. I feel like, well, I feel like like. Halfway through episode eight, actually, was where I started liking it. So, um, yeah, I think tons more of that kind of humor. But but first and foremost, like, tons more of, like, just gut-wrenching stuff going on. And then and then let the humor kind of come out of that. Um, that's what I'd like to see. There's a specific thing I'd like to see if I were to watch any more of this. Um, I actually was hoping that we'd learn a little more about Una 
because she's uh, practically an alien stuck here. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I'm assuming now we didn't see her get caught up in the magic spell that that appears to wipe out Dreamland. So I'm assuming she's still alive. And I'm a, I'm kind of hoping that maybe she and um, and Zog will have some kind of quest to go on together, in which they actually learn to appreciate and respect each other while driving each other crazy. I'm sure, but uh, <laughs> but where they they maybe learn that they have a little more in common than they thought, because at the moment it's just straight up marriage of convenience, and you, you almost you almost feel bad for them, even though they they have it better than almost everybody else in the kingdom. Uh, so <laughs> I'm curious about that. Isn't there a scene though where she's plotting with Oddfall somehow? Yes. That... Yeah. Oh yeah. Is. Well, but maybe. But then, yeah, who knows? Or Oddfall gets turned to stone too. Yeah. But but she's she's more than she appears to be too. There's there's different yes. factions, and she's part of one of them. It seems like. I mean, I guess yeah, she, could, she she could still like have her have develop a real relationship with Zog, I guess. But but uh, that gave me the feeling it's going more of a sort of. Um, you know, intrigue, conspiracy. Plots within plots. Yeah, wheels within wheels. <laughs> <laughs> Game Story of Thrones stories. Game of Thrones style stuff with like like with Lyanna Stark, which everyone knows. Right. <laughs> oh my god, you're not gonna let this go. <laughs> um but yeah, so if if people if you're listening to this and you uh, haven't watched the show at all and you want to give it a try, I would recommend I'm trying to think. Maybe watch the first episode, watch the, and then maybe skip to seven. Watch seven, yeah. eight, nine, ten. I think you can get away. Yeah, with you're that. not missing anything. Yeah. Yeah. Just I counted like four episodes that ended with like a very slow moving, sloppy, contrived action scene. Um, episode seven, I don't think ends that way. So that might be a, a good one for people who are testing it out. I kind of enjoyed the Hansel and Gretel uh, retelling. I thought that was kind of fun. How they were, you know, they talked, they brought the witch out and they're like, oh, this is that witch that killed all those kids, including Hansel and Gretel. And then, and then come to find out Hansel and Gretel are actually the serial killers. And they, uh, they've, they've placed a curse on the witch so she can't talk. All she can do is cackle. And they're in there just like in this candy house, gingerbread house, just like all these recipes around them for how to cook people. And I thought that was pretty clever. Yeah, so I, I I did like the the Hansel and Gretel, and that was when they go down into Hansel and Gretel's like torture dungeon or whatever. Was genuine. That was the first time I felt any tension um, watching the show. Uh, so that was episode five. So yeah, I guess you could uh, watch episode five too if you want. Yeah, that's where that's where I started to warm up. That's where I wasn't hating it anymore. <laughs> and then and then it, it, and then by seven I was laughing. It's just so, so strange that, I mean, it's not like the team behind this show has never made a cartoon before. I mean, there's like 30 years of experience making The Simpsons and, you know, seven seasons of Futurama. It's just it's just sort of odd to me that, that there's, 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 there's all these things that just seems to be very fundamental storytelling things that just aren't connecting in this show. Yeah. I, my first thought actually was that, boy, this is a, a room of really young writers I thought it was like a green, really room of green writers. And I was talking to a, a friend of mine, uh, earlier today, um, who's a comedy writer. And he's like, no, it's all old. It's Futurama people. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. I was like, how could they have, how did it end up so bad for the beginning? 
Like, if you can't hook me in the first episode, like, that's, that's bad. It takes till five till you got me? Ugh. That, that's a problem. I mean, what I read is that sort of half Simpsons and Futurama alums and then half new writers. So, I don't know how much the new writers. That's, well, new, new writers generally don't, you know, it's the old writers. It's the, the seasoned writers who are usually lead the room. So I'm 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 I was shocked, genuinely shocked. Mm. Yeah, and if I if I would say if I were to run through the episodes, I would say yeah. Episode one, we mentioned how it's just putting things into place. Episode two is just a continuation of that, which I felt was yeah, um, not very memorable. Episode three, I just mentioned how it has a cool premise. I didn't really like the character development. Episode four is where the Vikings show up. This was the one where I really started to wonder about Bean's character. I actually wrote in my notes, she's a teenager, question mark. Uh, yeah. That's so stupid because she's drinking at a bar. So I'm like, well, she's got to be over 21, right? <laughs> Which is so stupid. <laughs> uh, that, was, that was a weird one because that's where it establishes uh, that she's got like this drinking problem. But it's weird because... Sometimes she's drinking as like a party animal, which makes sense. Sometimes she seems to have like this bitter, cynical drinking problem that like a person three times her age would have. So I was puzzled about that. I also thought that that, um, you know, how she she's um, a party animal who sleeps around, but then she can't get anyone to dance with her. And that's a running joke for like felt what felt like six minutes. That one was brutal. Um, yeah. Episode five, you just mentioned with Hansel Gretel. Um, I was OK with that one. E- episode six, though. That was one where, again, ends with a, a long, drawn-out action scene that doesn't really have much tension. And there's a huge chunk I, in the yeah. middle where all the jokes are about are derived from her being incredibly drunk, which I think might be tough for yeah. some people to watch, to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, and then from there... low point. Yeah, really. yeah. And then from there... And it just drags on and on. And then from there, we have the... From episode 7 to 10, which I think we agreed was where, you know, there was some, some quality stuff in there and... and yeah, we're wondering why it didn't didn't move. So there's my quick summary. And I mean, the, the thing is, there's so many good cartoons on right now. I mean, um, I think Robert mentions Rick and Morty, or maybe it was Tom. I forget. And I mean, um, my girlfriend Stephanie and I have been watching um, Gravity Falls, which is terrific. Uh, I mean, I think it's just at a completely different level than this. And I understand. I, I think there's actually some people from Gravity Falls on the writing team for this. Which I, you know, so again, it sort of puzzles me why this this is so uneven. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe someday we'll find out uh, why why this uh, isn't connecting with us the way. Well, that... I think I think you also have to take into account that you know the Simpsons and Futurama both they they weren't hits right out of the gate. It, it wasn't until like the middle that they started really getting into their stride and became the classics, or at least the Simpsons, the classics shows that i remember were from the middle part of it um so it's it's got it's gonna i think it's gonna find its voice the beginning was harsh (laughs) the beginning was hard but it picks up it it made me want to see the next season absolutely um and i think it's gonna find its voice i do i i actually do think that i i fully agree i i thought uh you know i feel kind of bad that we spent so much of this show just kind of harping on what's wrong with the show but um but my my takeaway from it was that it's still kind of finding itself and i thought it, just like you said you hit it on the head andrew when you said it made you want to watch the next season it made me want to too like not if i had only if i hadn't had to watch all of it i wouldn't have but in order to 
be part of this discussion. I watched all of it. And then once I got to the last three episodes, I was glad I did. And I really do want to see what happens next. Now I'm like, okay, now that I saw episodes eight, nine, and 10, I want to see, I want to see the next season for sure. Yeah. That's a really good point, Andrea, and I, I, I meant to mention that because I, I, I read other – you know, I haven't obviously watched the first season of Simpsons or, or Futurama in many, many years. But people have said if you go back and watch them now, they're – you know, they don't hold up all that well. No. Um, so, yeah, I mean this may may take – I mean and, and there's already – there's going to be another 10 episodes that have – I think they're already – they're pretty much they already done. made them, yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, we'll get to see how it develops. I mean, it's certainly as we're saying, though, episodes nine and ten certainly give you, you know, a lot of reason to, yeah. a lot of reasons uh, for optimism. I, I, I think, I, I think I'm unlikely to watch any more episodes unless I hear <laughs> like good word of mouth that, oh yeah, the the season two is good. You should check it out. Um, really, you don't want to find out what what was all about the mother and the ship and the. <laughs> And Una, and uh, where how Elfo is going to come back to life, and oh, well, actually, speaking of that, did you guys watch the post credit scene? Yes, I, yeah. I, I didn't see it. I don't know how I missed it. I might have walked out of the room when it was on credits. Uh, so yeah, in the middle of the credits in episode ten, you see Elfo get pulled out of the pulled out, yeah. ocean out by of the water. I, yeah, by mermaids. Um, so, so yeah, Elfo is certainly not dead. If, if, if anyone was worried, uh, he's, he's definitely coming. <laughs> or at least he, ha- rigor mortis hasn't set in. Now, the next, the first episode might be a weekend at Bernie's kind of thing going on. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be sweet. Yeah. I was going to say, as far as watching more stuff, maybe, yes, um, other people need to be the guinea pig for me before I, I venture there. <laughs> but I'm curious. I, I, I actually, um, you're right. It is. It is when we're when we're talking about these things. It is easy to start uh, harping on things. Um, but yeah, I agree that it, it actually is is a major accomplishment of this these first ten episodes. That that I am curious, and I think that seems to be the consensus. Of some of the uh, reviews I've read, and and it seems to be what we're converging on here is that um, you know because those those uh, last few episodes tries to push things and uh, you know tries to lead us in the, on this new adventure with these characters that we're we're willing to learn a little bit more about we're ready to learn more mm-hmm. so i think that's that's an accomplishment and i'll say i mean i i went back and rewatched the first episode and the first time i watched it i was pretty underwhelmed by it and the second time i found it fairly enjoyable so it, it may just be that you know i had high expectations you know i have all these memories of futurama and all these memories of uh you know bart's class going to the nuclear power plant and i was sort of expecting something like that and that that you know and 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 what we have instead is sort of a uh you know kind of a likable you know fantasy cartoon it's it's not in my opinion it's no rick and morty and it's no um gravity falls um but it's not terrible um and you know it it certainly could develop into something uh special uh you know if they take all my suggestions uh no i'm sure sure they will i'm (laughs) sure they're listening they're going to be listening to this yeah, and and taking notes. I hope you. I hope you've all been taking notes. <laughs> um, all right, cool. So we're pretty much out of time. So uh, does anyone have any final thoughts they want to throw in here? Uh, I think I said all my. Uh, I think I said my piece. I'm good. Yeah, I think I'm good. All right, cool. So I guess we'll uh, wrap things up there. So we've been speaking with Robert Rapino, Andrea Kale, and Tom Garenser. So thanks everyone so much for joining us. Thank you.
Thank you. Thanks, Dave. And that was our panel. So big thanks again to Robert Rapino, Andrea Kale, and Tom Karenzer for joining us on the show. Big thanks as well to everyone who's given us five stars on iTunes, including Gadgetude, who writes, The amount of work that goes into the podcast shows in every aspect of it. It's one of the most professionally done podcasts on the internet on any subject. The interviews are thoughtful, and it's clear the host spends a lot of time preparing for them so he can speak intelligently to the author or other interviewee. The panels are always interesting, even though my opinion often differs from the common theme of the panel, with intelligent, relevant discussion. Every episode is exceptionally well edited to remove things like pauses in the conversation or someone saying um while they try to think of what to say. All of the shows are on target, interesting, and extremely well done. So, big thanks again to Gadgetude for that great review. Special thanks as well to Elijah Brenner and Tiffany Peng, who both just signed up this week to support us on Patreon. Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com slash geeks. And if you'd rather make a one-time contribution, you can do that via check or PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com slash crowdfunding. So big thanks again to everyone who's contributed. We really appreciate it. All right, so that was our show. So thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit geeksguideshow.com. To learn more about your host, visit davidbarkertley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it, tell no one. Thank you for listening.